Welcome, everyone, to Word After Word, a podcast on writing. I am your host, Paul Matthew Carr, and with me, as always, is the professor, David Hicks. Hello, Paul. Joining us today is a very special guest. He is a best-selling author, an award-winning adventure writer, and a longtime contributor to NPR. His novels include The Dog Stars and The Painter. It is a pleasure to welcome to the program Peter Heller. Hey, good morning. Welcome, Peter. Good morning. Thanks. Now, Peter, on this program, we are primarily concerned with the craft and the process of writing. So that's what I want to discuss with you today. Great. But first, I have to ask, before we get into that, are you working on anything right now? So I, yesterday, I finished the copy edits <laughs> of a new novel called Celine, which will be out from Knopf in March of 2017. Yeah. Really yeah. excited about Congratulations. it. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. That's excellent. It's really fun. It's based on my mom, which uh, she died two years ago, and it was sort of a way to hang out with her for another year Mm -hmm. in a very intimate way. And um, so she was a very elegant private eye, and that's what this is, this novel. (laughs) 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 We're entering new territory. She was was really a private eye. Yeah, she really was. She found missing people. Like um, she reunited birth families for Mm -hmm. mostly pro bono, well, always pro bono for uh, families that could never afford an investigator um, say, you know, you're a 15-year-old kid, you're a drug addict, you're pregnant, you have to give up your child, and maybe 20 years later you'd like to find that child or the child wants to find you. Mm-hmm. That's what she she and her husband Pete did. And so this is a fictional case, but the character and Pete and her and uh, all the backstory is all true. So it's, it was really fun. And is it set back east? or uh, It's set uh, initially back east and then uh, in Denver and Yellowstone. All right. Okay. Cool. <laughs> so you're not abandoned in the west completely. <laughs> no, we gotta, we got to stay true to our roots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So when you're writing, can you talk, talk to me about your typical writing day? Do you have a set schedule? Oh, yeah. Uh, I really believe in routine. I mean, I think I, I approach writing um, like um, – a sport. I think um, a writer is a certain kind of athlete, and you have to to uh, train all the time. You have to work on your stamina, your strength, your uh, sprints. <laughs> <laughs> you have to learn how to breathe right. Uh, you uh, you know you have to keep your muscles toned. You have to stay in the rhythm of what you're doing so that uh, when you come to it, you don't feel rusty. You want to feel smooth. And so I think, you know, I mean, I'm, I was a physically exuberant person all my life, and I, I really like to do, uh, you know, rigorous athletic stuff. And, I, and that um, really sort of translate o- translates over t- uh, to writing for me. So I believe in routine just as you would train for a sport. I, I write a 1,000 words every day. And I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, but basically, you know, I try and get a good sleep. I try and organize my day so that I have the best energy in the morning for my work. And my whole life is sort of organized around coming to the writing in the morning with the best energy I can have. Mm. So I'm very careful about that. So try and get a good sleep. Get up. I have two big mugs of coffee. <laughs> really strong French roast. <laughs> Uh, you can't when you pour it. You can't see through it. Uh, you should be able to basically float a bullet. Yeah. And um, that's key. So that's key. Uh, I relax early in the morning uh, with my cup of coffee for you know forty five minutes. Then um, off to a coffee shop, and I um, don't work a set amount of time. I work a set amount of words. Mm. Um, I read that um, 
Graham Greene always wrote 500 words every day, mm. every day of his life, you know, on his friend's yacht in the Mediterranean mm. and the deck chair, you know, in his room in London at the Raffles Hotel in Singapore. He wrote 500 words a day and he was so assiduous mm. about it that he kept a subtotal in the margin. And when he got to word 500, he stopped. And it occurred to me as I read when I read that, it occurred to me that what he was doing was making sure with this arbitrary number that he stopped in the middle of things. He would stop in the middle of a sentence, in the middle of dialogue, in the middle of a love scene, hmm. in like end of the affair. He would stop. Mm -hmm. and, it, and, and I thought, wow, I'm going I'm to try that. I write a thousand words a day pretty much. I mean, that's, you know, after that, the energy starts to drop off. So I thought, let me just try that with a little bit uh, more words. Let me stop around a thousand words, but let me always make sure that I'm in the middle. So that's what I do. I write past a thousand. And I've been doing it so long, I know sort of you know, right when that is, just like a, you know, a quarterback or, a, you know, football team knows when the, <laughs> when the clock's down, mm -hmm. um, the play clock is, is down to zero. Um, and when I get to, to word a thousand, I write past it until I'm right in the middle of a scene, or if it's an essay in the middle of an exciting thought, mm -hmm. and then I put it down. I realized when I started doing that, that none of my writer friends do that. No, no. None of my author friends do that. They all they have a certain quote. I like time or words. Maybe they write two hours or three or five, or maybe they have so many words, but they always write through the scene, through the thought, right. give a big sigh, say, you know, okay, there's my day, writing day, great, go on with the rest of their life, uh, few. And then, <laughs> but if you think about it, that's always a transition. Yeah. It's the end of something. It's always double return. It's white space. They might as well start the book over every day. Start that rock rolling up the hill. So, I got so excited about how this changed my writing life because I would, stopping in the middle, I'd wake up in the morning and I couldn't wait to write again. I couldn't wait to get at what I was in the middle of. So uh, I began to get kind of evangelical about it. I started, now all my author friends do it and they all say to a, to a woman and a man, you know, this has changed my writing life. It must be. So, it must have been counterintuitive in a way because you just want to finish the scene. You right? want to finish you it. Have not to train I mean, yourself to of course. leave it. Yeah, I mean the thing is, is a lot of times when I stop, if I'm really excited, I know that I could write to three thousand yeah. words that day. I have the energy. The scene, you know, a big scene is rolling. But I came to understand that writing is really a marathon, mm -hmm. and. Um, I also think I learned that uh, swimming, like a few years ago, I started swimming, you know, mm -hmm. laps, which is like super boring. <laughs> <laughs> and you got to be mentally disciplined. You got to breathe, you know, at the right time. You know, you have to breathe, with, you know, very regularly at the right time. And um, I think that helped. I mean, uh, what I realized when I have all the energy and I could write longer, by putting it down, I realized that I'm just storing up more energy for, you know, the long term, for the months and months out when I'm getting kind of tired. You know, I'm really marshalling my energy. So that's the writing day. And then the rest of the day, um, I always try and get good exercise in the afternoon so that, you know, I feel relaxed and, and uh, you know, uh, ready the next day. Um, I try and see friends in the evening, um, try and do some reading. And it, it, it's all, it's in a way, it's like living, it's... Um, as I said, the whole life is sort of organized around, you know, the writing. Yeah. I'm curious about when you started that because I've, I've read your work for a long time and your style, you are really adaptable. I mean, you, you, you sometimes, I mean, it's not as if you can't tell it's a Heller book, but the writing is different in each book, adapted to whatever the content, I suppose, or, or your mm -hmm. habits. 
when did you when did you shift your writing from you know writing out the scene the scene to leaving off at a thousand? Oh yeah, that changed. No, no, no. That change was like. Um, <clears throat> Let me think. I think I started doing that when I wrote uh, Hell or High Water, uh-huh. the first yeah. long, really long, yeah. you know, substantial nonfiction book. And I realized there was so much to do. I mean, I had this whole, you know, some Tibetan history, mm-hmm. stuff about Buddhism, uh, a very ambitious expedition that was a long expedition to cover. Mm-hmm. I knew it was going to take a long time. And yeah. um, I sort of, you know, sort of that light bulb, that eureka. It's like, okay, yeah. we, we got to figure out how to pace ourselves. It's worked well. Thank you. It's it's committing. It's saying, you know, I'm going to be a writer long term. Yeah. So I'm going to do this every day. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. I'm yeah. not going to just, you know, go all weekend and then go to my job or do something else. You're mm-hmm. just every day. Every day. And the thing is, you know, so so even, you know, like when I'm between stuff, I still try and write every day. And um, it usually ends up being six days a week because by, mm-hmm. by Sunday, you know, I say I'm going to write every day. But by Sunday, you know, if I've been exercising, if I've been writing all week, sometimes I just want to lie on the couch and watch mm-hmm. golf. You know, I, I confess <laughs> it. I don't even play golf. I just like to watch it. Get it's it so gr- the green yeah. screen mm-hmm. and the little white ball. It's good to admit. Yeah, well, that's, that's some serious <laughs> discipline because I know I have this intense need to finish what I started oh yeah so to purposefully stop is i think hemingway did that didn't he well he did a different thing uh he i read that he would um put a few lines of the next day's right that's right you know so that was waiting there for him it's a similar idea but i don't think it i don't think it corrals as much energy as stopping right in the middle Wow. That is that is pretty fascinating. I don't know if I have the the will to do that sort of thing. <laughs> try, it. try talk it. to no, me after the show. Totally <laughs> I'm in the Church of Heller right now. I'm going to do it. <laughs> well, uh, I've always been fascinated by inspiration. Where do people get their inspiration? Is it is it cultivated? Is it spontaneous? Are there, are there habits that you have that try to get you inspired, or places you go to spark inspiration? Um, yeah, you know. Hmm. I don't know if I believe in inspiration. I, I mean, I really approach my work like I'm a furniture maker, you know. I try not to get too, um, you know, I, I think humility is a really, really big part of writing well and being humble to the craft and realizing that what we are doing really is a craft, no more than that. Uh, and if it becomes something that touches people and they want to call it, you know, art or great art, you know, wonderful. But... Um, I think I do better off as a writer if I approach it as a craft. And I think of myself as a furniture maker. You know, I go in. I was saying the other day to your students that, you know, put on the apron. You know, the chisels are sharp. uh, Go to my stack of wood. uh, Start planing. Start chiseling. Start Mm -hmm. sanding. Start cutting, you know, joints. Fitting stuff together. Making a pile of sawdust. Sweeping it up. Stopping in the middle of, you know, that box or that bureau or that table, that chair putting up the tools and and having everything waiting there for the next. And I think when you do that, then um, when something sweeps you up and you're swept up with emotion, you're swept up with, you know, you're terribly excited by something that comes to you, a voice maybe, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, or, you know, the music of the language or a story, then, um, as I said, then you're really ready. You know, all the tools are there, the material's there, and you come in and you work fluidly because, you know, you're, you've, your hands know where to go to reach each tool. You're, uh, you, know how to, you know how to use the, say, the saw so that, you know, it's smooth motions and you're not going to hurt yourself. And, you know, you just go from one thing to the other smoothly. 
because you've made yourself ready. And it's sort of that thing about, you know, uh, luck is where, you know, preparedness meets opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like that. You know, I really I really believe in that. So um, but I do like to read. I read um, poetry uh, so that I, you know, sort of sort of lull myself or um, get enthralled to the music of somebody's language. I love doing that. I know that helps uh, excite me. Um, and uh, I just like to also be in nature, and I like to keep my eyes open. I think I think part of um, my responsibility as a writer is to pay attention. So I try and I had a I had a I had a drama teacher when I was like nine. <laughs> this little school in Brooklyn, New York, who said something that I think affected me and you know helped me the rest of my life. He said, you know, our job as artists is to really pay attention. We're going to walk down the street and you're going to notice what the light is doing on the buildings, what it's what the street smells like. How does it smell different as you you know step onto the sidewalk? Uh, you know, when you're in country in the country, you know what sounds do you hear? What crickets? What birds? What frogs? Um, you know, what does it feel like when your feet hit the ground? You know, all these little details. Um, once you start paying attention, there's no, you know, you can never really get bored. <laughs> there's too much to keep track of. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, there's that too. I think, um, you know, being in nature for me is, uh, always, uh, makes me feel, uh, at home. And, uh, I, I like to focus on what's out there and um sometimes luckily when i'm when i'm lucky that gets into the writing okay. that gets into when you when you start a story do you start with place or do you start with a character typically uh, i don't start with either usually uh usually i just start with a first line mm -hmm. and um you know i came up as a poet i always you know to me i always wanted to be a poet when i was a kid and i wrote a lot of poetry and i still write poetry and um, so I start usually with a first line and, you know, sort of a rhythm, a cadence in the music of the language. And um, that, believe it or not, you know, I, try, I follow that into the story. So it's sort of like the music, the story comes on the back of the, rides on the back of the, of the music, um, of the language, uh, not the other way around. I know a lot of writers think up a story and then, you know, the language follows that. But I'm sort of the other way around. Yeah. I've noticed that your writing is very lyrical. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the things I love about your writing. Uh, oh, thanks. It's beautiful. Yeah. Can you tell us the first line of your new book? Uh, well, it, well, I can say that it started uh, with the first line. Actually, <laughs> you know, for legal reasons, I can't tell you the first line oh. uh, because it ended up changing. Uh, I started with a certain character. Um, somebody told me a story, and, uh, and then um, I started writing the book, and then I had to change it. <laughs> I had to change all sorts of stuff stuff about it uh so um is this book I, about your mother or is this yeah oh, okay. the book about okay. my mom okay uh but i can tell you that when i started the book i had no idea it was going to be about my mom huh. uh so this is a novel about a very elegant private eye and the book is called celine and um i had no idea when i started it i started with this other story but it was really the sound of the first line that got to me and then eventually after a few pages that led to my mom who knew but she was waiting there. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, uh, but, you know, so like um, in the Dog Stars, I started, I sat down at the coffee shop and I wrote, I keep the beast running. I keep the hundred low lead on tap. I foresee attacks. I am young enough. Mm -hmm. I am old enough. I used to love to fish for trout more than anything. Mm -hmm. My name is Hig, one name. <laughs> mm -hmm. Big mm -hmm. Hig if you need another. Mm -hmm. If I ever woke up crying in the middle of a dream, and I'm not saying I did, it's because the trout are gone, every one. And, you know, it's not super lyrical, but it's got a sort of a rhythm to it. And 
uh, it just it just grabbed me. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. once he said, you know, I, I'm not saying I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, like I was like, OK, I'm listening, man. You just keep talking. <laughs> okay. Well, that's interesting too, because the dog stars is very much a um, speculative fiction, uh, kind of a post-apocalyptic story, whereas you have other stories which are just contemporary yeah. uh, stories. So is there a particular genre you prefer working in or just again? It was, you know, I followed this voice into the story and like a few pages into the dog stars, I was yeah. thinking. Holy cow, this is a post-apocalyptic novel. I don't want to write a post-apocalyptic novel. I mean, this was my debut novel, my first, you know, novel. And uh, I wanted to write a literary fiction. I didn't want to write genre. But that's the thing. I mean, I followed the voice. The voice was sort of inarguable. It was compelling. It wouldn't take no for an answer. And I was like, okay, let's go for it. <laughs> I think that's why I liked it, because I, I, don't, I don't read post-apocalyptic novels. I, I I, I don't read it, but I started reading your book. I didn't realize it was post-apocalyptic. And then by the time I realized it, I was like, oh, I'm in. <laughs> I want to know what this guy's going to do. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. And I thought, you know, the other thing I thought, too, was, you know, a few pages in, I was like, oh, man, this is post-apocalyptic. I don't want to do this because, you know, if this gets published, they're going to compare it to Cormac McCarthy in The Road. Right. And as a debut novelist, you do not want to get no compared way. to Gordon McCarthy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, bad idea. But right. it was like, you know, it was too late. I was, I was in. <laughs> See, I, I actually do read that uh-huh. uh, genre quite a bit. And uh, when I picked up that, uh, when I picked up the Dog Stars, I thought, well, this is interesting. This is a take I haven't heard before on right. this particular type oh, of story. Yeah, yeah. So that was very impressive. Right. Yeah. Huh. But I, but I, <laughs> but I do, but I do feel like, but I can say that I think that uh, having a strong sense of place. Uh, right at the beginning of anything, and I try and do it even with my journalism, even with my magazine articles, is uh, the best way to get a reader grounded, oriented, and um, if you do it well, trusting you as, a, as the writer. As the, and, um, and I think that's what you have to do. You have to engender trust right away. And you have to, you know, the, 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 you have to have the reader want to put their hand in yours and, you know, say, OK, lead me into this story. Lead me into this landscape. I'll, I'll go with you basically wherever you take me. Uh, that takes a huge amount of trust. Mm-hmm. And um, and you have to remember that for a reader of fiction and for a writer, um, this is not pretend. I mean, it takes real trust. You think, oh, it takes trust to read a story? I mean, come on. You know, isn't that a little grandiose? No, it's not. Because we suspend our disbelief so fast when we're, if we're reading good fiction that we really – our brain really doesn't know the difference. Mm-hmm. And they've done studies on this. I was mentioning the other day um, neurological studies where the brain really doesn't know the difference between what's happening in the book and what, you know, what might happen in real life. You know, if you read his hand was as – uh, his hand was as rough-hewn as rough-out leather, the same place fires in your brain as if you're touching rough-out leather. So if you think of your reader suspending their life, their present, um, and walking into your landscape and being in such total thrall that they actually, the brain really feels like it's real, then it really does take trust, you know, <laughs> to go into that place. And um, so that's a, that's a huge responsibility for an author, isn't it? Yeah, because then you're violating the trust if you just skim over some words or just, you know, summarize or, you know, because you're, you're, you're violating the trust. You're not, you're not honoring it. You're not honoring not their commitment yeah. to your place. Yeah. And um, also, if you're snarky, you know, if you yeah. don't respect your right. – uh, I hate getting into um, some fiction or something and 
finding out that um, the writer has um, hates some of their characters or feels superior to them, uh, then I feel like I've really been violated. Like, yeah. or there's an agenda. There's a, or there's uh, an agenda that yeah was hidden it. at the beginning, yeah. and that's why I don't. I think you know, like advocacy stuff. I've done a lot of like environmental uh, writing about the environment, and I think you know. When it's real advocacy stuff, when you're really pushing for a certain solution in a problem like, you know, the duck dolphin killing or like whaling or like, you know, warming in the oceans or whatever, when you're really pushing a certain agenda, then I, I think that should be saved for journalism, for essays, memoir, a place where you can say right up front, this is what I'm doing. I want to explain to you why I feel this way. Listen to me. I'm going to show you. You take your reader in that way, you know, full disclosure. I don't like fiction or poetry that's strongly, you know, advocacy-oriented. I feel like I'm being betrayed in a way. Isn't that funny? Yeah, or even a personal agenda where, you know, I'm going to write this story exposing this jerk who did something bad to me. And yeah, you can right. feel that mm-hmm. in the character, and you can feel the author's kind of anger toward the character. Right, and it's so. like, I trust in you. Why are you taking me yeah. into this place yeah. with your own axe to grind? Yeah. At the same time, don't you think that that can play into a story? I mean, you people... Authors have their feelings and their uh, and the the causes that they believe in. Yeah, but I feel like it should be organic. Like okay. um, I think there's a difference in writing a um, work of art, or maybe it's not a writing a novel or a work of fiction with the intent of pushing a certain agenda. So it shouldn't be overt. Just yeah, sort of. I mean, I, I think if that, you know, if the character feels strongly about something, then, you know, maybe that's because the writer felt strongly about something and you go, you know, with your character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's fine. Of course, that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But that's a different, that has a different sort of whiff. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. Then the stuff where people sit down and say, you know, I'm going to use this fiction, I'm going to use this piece of art to advance my agenda. Right. That's a whole different deal, I think. Okay. No, I agree. Uh, yeah. Subtle, but it's nuanced. But. I want to ask you about the writing revision process. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that when you're advocating a thousand words, that's new material, right? I'm assuming that. Yeah. And I know that uh, as a writer, I can get stuck revising before I move on. Can you talk about how you manage the, you know, writing the new material all the way through and then go back and revise or you show to trusted friends and editors? What's your revision, writing revision process? Yeah, so I really believe in um, speed. And I always joke, you know, when I'm speaking, I would say, you know, when you're not that smart, you got to go fast. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think there's something to it that um, I really believe in not looking back, you know, when I'm writing. Mm. Uh, I don't edit as I go. You know, I'll, I'll read a page or a paragraph that I wrote the day before just to sort of get into the rhythm of it and figure out where I am and then, you know, get the momentum and go. Um, but I And I might change a word or two, but I don't edit as I go. I really believe that um, you want to have fun, that if you're not having fun, then your reader's not having fun. If you are having fun and you have some skill, then they're, they're going to have a good time. Mm-hmm. So uh, I sort of think about making a whole bunch of clay that's fun clay. And the way you do that is, you know, you follow your nose, you go where there's energy, you go where there's fun, you go where you're curious, and um, not worry about whether it's going to work or not. <laughs> <laughs> and the writers I love the most are the ones that sort of like really take risks and sometimes they fall down. You know, I was just reading one of Murakami's earlier novels mm-hmm. last week and um, he really fell flat in a couple of places and I just loved it, yeah. you know, because he, you know, he was young, he was in his 20s and he was trying. Right. right. You know, he yeah. was taking a risk. And yeah. so um, so I write, 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 write. I don't worry about it. I just have faith in the process. Um, if I need to uh, step back and think about where is this going a little bit, block it out a little bit, that's fine. You know, I, um, I don't write with big outlines or plot. But, 
you know, write, 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 write. Don't look back. And at the end, have faith in the revision process that you can, you know, cut out the bad stuff, tighten up the the slow stuff, move stuff around to where things flow and work. Uh, you know, it'll 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 get there. Yeah. I'm reminded of Melville whenever I read Moby Dick because there's some parts that just fall flat, just messes, like just just a big mess. But it's great because he's, he's taking risks every every chapter. He's so exuberant. He's yeah. taking so many yeah. risks all the time, yeah. and that's why people love that yeah. book. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great great point. I guess this is a kind of a it's kind of a cliched question, but have you always wanted to be a writer? Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's a great question. Yeah. Um, so I'm like those. You know, I'm like those, you know, like, I don't know, uh, ice skaters that like, you know, were like toddling on their ice skates when they were two, <laughs> you know, as Olympic ice skaters. I, 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 my dad read to me um, poetry, a lot of poetry when I was really little, you know, four, five, six, seven, uh, and read to me a lot at night, almost every night before I went to bed, my dad read to me. Mm. And, um, you know, from a very early age, I just felt like I, I want to do that. Right. Or, or not like I want to do that. I just started doing it. You know, he got so excited about, you know, he would read to me E. Cummings. He would read to me Yates, you know, as I mentioned the other night, you know, when I was like 11. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but the music and the language, I loved it. Uh, I loved the stories he was reading. Um, I read The Hobbit, I think, when I was like seven. And I couldn't, you know, a lot of the sentences, I really, you know, I remember puzzling over some of the sentences and trying to figure out, you know, what they meant. There's seven. But, but it was cool, you know. It was yeah. like here was this whole, like, world, this universe, you know, yeah. that was like in this book, yeah. you know. It was cool. Uh, so, yeah, I, I've been wanting to, I've been writing since I was, since I was very, very small. And you had that nice teacher who was walking around saying, pay attention. That, that, yeah, and that, I had the drama teacher helps. saying, pay attention. And I had a librarian who handed me, you know, a book of Hemingway stories uh, when I was 11, and it just blew me away. And um, so, yeah, it's been a li- lifelong love for sure. Oh, fantastic. I, I do have one final yeah. question, and this is the silly question to end the interview with. Uh-oh. In the movie about you, which actor plays the part of you? Somebody goofy. <laughs> <laughs> Not a Cary Grant. <laughs> it's got the be, salt and pepper. It could be a George Clooney it's gotta type. It's got to be somebody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> George, I, George Clooney's a great one because Definitely. what I love about Clooney is like, you know, he, he can play the suave debonair guy, right? Yeah. You know, like up in, the, up in the air or whatever. But his best movie was uh, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, yeah. He was such dork. a goofball. Yeah, total you know? dork. Total dork. That's me. <laughs> okay. With Ralph... Lip-syncing Ralph Stanley. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you very much for being here, Oh, yeah, of course. It's a pleasure. It was a great conversation. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. That was our interview with author Peter Heller. When we first sat down with Peter, there was an equipment kerfuffle, and we were unable to record that day, but he was gracious enough to come back a couple days later to do it again. So many thanks to Peter Heller for sharing his time with us. If you'd like to learn more about Peter Heller, he can be found online at peterheller.net. And his books can be found pretty much everywhere books can be found. So go and check them out. That just leads me to say, you've been listening to Word After Word, a podcast on writing. Word After Word is a Daddy Elk production. You can find the show online at wordafterwordpodcast.com, as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And if you get a chance, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. It really does help, and it's much appreciated. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and on behalf of David Hicks and myself, Paul Matthew Carr, thank you very much, and we'll be back with more discussion on the craft of writing in just a few weeks' time. Until then, just keep writing.